crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Nachtigall. I'm here in Jerusalem, Israel, finally after about a month and a half out of the country. My wife is yet to join me and my two kids. They are leaving from the United States today and they'll arrive here in Israel tomorrow. And so it's just been me on my lonesome. We did have some of our supporters of Watch Jerusalem in the country uh, on visit, and so I've been able to give them a tour. Uh, on Friday of the City of David, the Ophel excavations went through Hezekiah's tunnel as well, and so that was just a wonderful, wonderful day uh, to spend with them, especially because my family is absent, and sometimes you can feel a little lonely uh, without your family. I do want to put out a plug for anyone that does want one of these tours and can make their way to Jerusalem, or if you live here as well and you're after a tour of these excavation sites, pro bono, I'd be happy to assist you. Uh, it takes a couple of hours, uh, but we can we can definitely do that and help you get a greater understanding of these excavation sites that do reveal the history of King Solomon and King David. Now, in light of that, we did have, uh, well, in light of some of that history, I just got a phone call, actually, a couple hours ago, from the Jerusalem Post, one of their writers, and it was quite interesting. This is, it hasn't happened to me before, but uh, I received a phone call from this lady that is writing an article about the recent discoveries at Tel Shiloh under the directorship of, of Scott Stripling, the archaeologist there. And you've heard of him, of course, on this program. We've interviewed him before. And she's doing a piece about how the discoveries there are matching clearly uh, with the biblical text, which is really amazing and, and, and something that needs attention drawn to it. And hopefully when we release the next report, we, we will draw attention to that, uh, that excavation. But then she said she called us uh, because she wanted our thoughts on biblical archaeology. She didn't just want to limit herself to one source, and so uh, the the source that she thought of was to give us a call. And I thought that that was just really uh, interesting, significant, and something that is showing that our work is having an effect. Uh, it's a great sign of our growing work to the point that a journalist uh, who does want to have uh, a quote or a quote or two or some more discussion about biblical archaeology and who does she turn to, but she she turns to us. And so that was just a, a really neat phone call. The interview went for about 15 minutes. Must admit, I was a little bit nervous, actually, for the first maybe five minutes of that call. And so hopefully she can uh, piece together the, the best quotes of that uh, for her article. Some of these journalists, they do spend a lot of time getting interviews and then and then you look at the article itself and and you might get a line in there and so if that's the case i'm hoping it's a, one of the one of the few good things i said in that interview uh we'll we'll see how it comes out and if if it does come out soon i'll definitely uh tweet a link to that uh from the watch jerusalem account or perhaps put it on facebook or even discuss it a little bit next week it's probably an article i would like to discuss anyway since she did a big thorough interview with scott stripling also 
Now, I came back early to Jerusalem. I was, of course, in the U.S., as I said, to catch up with the tail end of the trip uh, of our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flory. He was here for about a day and a half, a whirlwind trip, looking at ways to expand our operations over here. Uh, he also met with Israeli archaeologist Elot Mazar and shared a meal with her and, and just caught back up. We've, of course, had a long-standing relation with, relationship with her. Uh, the, and she's the the archaeologist behind the discovery of King David's palace, amongst a bunch of other things. And she's she met with uh, Mr. Flurry, as I said, and they got to talk and catch up and, and just um, reaffirm our, our strong relationship with her and with Jerusalem Archaeology. Also in town was managing editor of the Watch Jerusalem magazine, uh, Mr. Brad McDonald, and we were discussing briefly that we need to get really to work fast on producing the next edition of the Watch Jerusalem print. By now, you should have received your Watch Jerusalem print magazine. If you're in Israel and did not receive, you're one of the 100 people in Israel that didn't, uh, well, that signed up for this magazine for the first issue and did not receive it, please let me know. You can send your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. And I will I will try and find out why that didn't get to you. I received mine in the PO box here in Jerusalem, and it was uh, just a, a wonderful experience to open up this this uh, envelope and uh, see one of these magazines, a hard copy of this magazine that we've been working on uh, for some time. The next edition of that <clears throat> needs to be written up by. Uh, about two weeks from now, and so that'll be coming into the mailboxes in about three weeks or four weeks, uh, probably four weeks from from now. So that's just some news to catch you up on Watch Jerusalem. I'm not actually going to cover archaeology today because something very extraordinary is happening in Lebanon uh, with these massive riots that the people are coming out on the streets to protest against government corruption and uh, the fact that their economy is struggling for so long and the government inaction to act- to try and st- uh, stop that and fend off greater economic crises. About a quarter of, of Lebanon's population is actually in poverty and it threatens to get worse and worse and the government is twiddling its thumbs about it. Now, this is, this is significant. Why? It's because Hezbollah is the dominant political faction inside the Lebanese government. And so now you are seeing the wrath of the Lebanese people coming out against Hezbollah, speaking out against Hezbollah. Now, this has happened in the past by some, the, some of the Druze leaders, some of the Sunni leaders, but, but most people have been terrified to speak out against Hezbollah. Now, what does this mean for Lebanon's future? What does it mean that the people of Lebanon are rising up against Hezbollah in particular? That's what I want to talk about on today's program. We're going to take a short break, and then I'll address this issue in full when we get back. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. For this part of the show, we're going to be talking about Lebanon, the nation to the north of Israel with a population of about 5.5 million people. Quite a small nation, and yet it features uh, in a Bible prophecy 
that is found over in Psalm chapter 83. And that prophecy, by the looks of things, because of these mass protests, looks like it's beginning to be fulfilled. Now, this is a bold claim, of course, but if you're listening to this program, you are interested in biblical prophecy, and you know that there's plenty of prophecies in the Bible that are yet to come to pass. 90% of these prophecies are to take place right before the coming of the Messiah. And one of these prophecies found in Psalm chapter 83 refers to an end time or latter day alliance of nations that have never come come together before. It's never happened before. All the Bible commentaries will talk about that, how we are waiting for this to take place, how there isn't a dual type of this alliance. It just takes place in the latter day, and it's made up of groups of or a group of nations that is going to come against Israel, not just the nation of Israel. Today, here in here, uh, just south of Lebanon, uh, this of course is ancient Judah, the southern kingdom of of Israel that went into captivity and then returned back during the time of Zerubbabel, back two thousand five hundred years ago. And the tribes that came back back then were Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. That's what your Bible says. And that's what uh, history affirms as well. But there were other tribes of Israel that had already, before Judah went into captivity, that went into captivity, and they are elsewhere in the world. They're not here in Israel. If you talk to any knowledgeable rabbi, he will tell you that. He will tell you that, sure, there might be a spattering of some of those other tribes, some of them that came back down or that merged into this kingdom of southern Judah before the northern tribes of Israel were taken captivity by the Assyrians but not the majority. The majority were elsewhere. They became the lost 10 tribes. They migrated, in fact, with the Assyrian Empire when the Assyrian Empire was dissolved and with the other empires, uh, like the Parthians, when they were dissolved, they migrated northward into uh, north and westward into Europe, to the British Isles, and then to the United States. And so when this prophecy in Psalm 83 refers to Israel, it's not just referring to the little nation of Israel today, but far more than that. But we're going to stay focused, not necessarily on how Psalm 83 affects these nations in Psalm 83, affect the modern state of Israel. We're going to talk about how they come together, because right now, right now, not all these nations are allied. Many of them are, most of them are. Some of them are actually allied with Iran, and Iran is going to form a different alliance uh, that we talk to talk about a lot on this show, the King of the South Alliance. And uh, this Psalm 83 alliance is actually made up of nations that counter Iran's expansionism across the Middle East and the world. There is another nation involved in this Psalm 83 alliance that is outside the region, and that is Biblical Assyria. Biblical Assyria. They are not in the region today. Of course, there's probably some leftover Assyrians in, in Syria and uh, northern northern Iraq and maybe southern Turkey. But I'm not talking about those. Bible prophecies talk about Assyria being the rod of, of God's anger and how that, that nation is going to be used again to, to punish Israel. Now, that's not going to be done by a few hundred, a few thousand Assyrians uh, left over in Syria today. But that's going to form a nation, a nation, in fact, Assyria does, that has fought numerous times against biblical Israel, and they're going to do it again, as we'll get to. Now, inside this psalm, 
details a number of other nations as I've covered, the ancient names for these nations. And so we have to put together what they are today. Now, when it comes to some of them, it's more difficult to trace them. I would say such as Edom that's mentioned in this alliance, such as perhaps the the Ishmaelites and others. Uh, but when it comes to the na- the ancient type, the ancient names of Lebanon, it's quite easy. There's Gebal that is mentioned there. The inhabitants of Tyre is mentioned there in this prophecy. And that's obvious where they are today. It's obvious. They're there in Lebanon, particularly some of these parts, southern Lebanon. Now, what's interesting in this prophecy is that southern Lebanon right now is Hezbollah's stronghold. Hezbollah, of course, is the the proxy of Iran. They make no bones about that. They said even in protest this week that they answer not to the the Lebanese uh, Lebanese people. They answer to Iran. That's what Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, has said. That's where he takes his uh, orders from. That's where he gets a lot, most of his money from. It comes from Iran. They don't make make any type of suggestion that they're not in support of Iran. And so you have this prophecy in Psalm 83 discussing the inhabitants of Tyre, and they're not part of the Iranian alliance. What does that mean? It means that the, the, the stranglehold that Iran has on Lebanon through its proxy Hezbollah is going to come to an end. Might sound crazy, given the, the massive amounts of force and firepower that Hezbollah has, most of it aimed against Israel, and yet they've come out and said, uh, Nasrallah came out and said on Friday that Hezbollah isn't just used to fight against Israel, it's also used to protect Lebanon from itself as well, which is terrifying to think about if you're a Lebanese uh, citizen, that Hezbollah will actually come out and say that, that they need to support support Lebanon. This is what he said, need to uphold uh, the, the state as well, against itself. This is what Nasrallah said. I'm quoting now. It is the responsibility of Hezbollah to protect Lebanon at home as well. What does that mean? It means that it's Hezbollah's right and duty to stop the turmoil taking place right now inside Lebanon. Now, what they would, how they would want to do that, of course, is to uh, come to some negotiation with the protesters to keep itself in power along with the other government officials and uh, go forward that way. But when it comes down to it, he said that it's the responsibility of us, us Lebanese made up by partly by Hezbollah to protect home as well. Now that means that they will do what they need to do to stop these protests from getting out of hand. And we're already starting to see this. Now, up until this point, Shiites in Lebanon, Hezbollah, of course, is is made up of the the Shiites, uh, a brand of Islam. Uh, The Shiites in Lebanon up to this point have been unwavering in their support for Hezbollah and its leader Nasrallah. But that has changed. These protests have changed that. There's many in Lebanon not just the Sunnis, who you would understand there would be against Hezbollah, not just the Christians, who some of them are against Hezbollah. Some of them, of course, are in league with Hezbollah for power's sake. Not just the Druze, who have been some of the most vocal against Hezbollah over the years. Not all of them against Hezbollah, but also some of the Shiites themselves. Again, this hasn't happened. 
this is what uh, Hanin Gadar wrote on October 22nd. This is one of the, the best writers about Lebanon that, that I follow. And she wrote in Foreign Policy, Iran is losing the Middle East. Protests in Lebanon and Iraq show, she says. Then she says this halfway through her article. For the first time since Hezbollah was formed in the 1980s, Lebanese Shiites are turning against it. In Nabatea, the group's heartland in the south of Lebanon, Shiite protesters even burned the officers of Hezbollah's leaders. Again, this hasn't happened before. This hasn't happened before. Internally, Hezbollah is in trouble. Now, the government of, of Lebanon uh, is extremely complicated because there's so many different sects inside Lebanon. Typically, people will write off Lebanon as being nothing more than a, a vassal state of the Iranians. And that is true when Hezbollah is in control, as they have been. As they have been, parliamentary elections, I think it was last year, early last year, saw to it that Hezbollah became the greatest seat getter in the parliament. And by virtue of the fact that the parliament is so uh, divided by its sex and by the constitution, there has to be equal representation of the sex in Lebanon inside the parliament. And given the fact that the other groups, such as the Sunnis and the Christians and the Druze, are divided often amongst themselves, and you've got multiple political parties within within those sects, there's not one strong party, individual party among those sects. With the Shiites, it is the case that most Shiites vote for Hezbollah. And so, by virtue of that fact, they became the most powerful uh, factor inside the Lebanese parliament. And so what happens then? What happens then when social unrest rises to the surface because complete the complete and utter failure of the government? When trash starts piling up, as it has done since 2015. When government debt gets higher and higher. What happens when wages go down? When unemployment goes up? When the state fails to deal with the influx of 1.5 million refugees, which is about 25% of, of the population of Lebanon. Now, all these things start adding up and people's anger starts to get turned against the government. And in this case, it's being turned against Hezbollah, and rightfully so, as they do control the government. Now, there is one other factor that is really hurting Hezbollah's hold over Lebanon right now, and that is the fact that since the Syrian civil war began back in 2011, shortly thereafter, Hezbollah and its fighters crossed the anti-Lebanon mountains into Syria and started fighting on behalf of the Syrian regime. Now, we've written about this for years since the start of the Syrian civil war, and that this showed ordinary Lebanese, that Hezbollah wasn't just built and concerned about Israel in the south. Now, that, that it shows also that they're concerned about preserving Iran's hold on states next, next door. It showed Hezbollah as an Iranian stooge that would be moved across the Middle East at will and showed that it wasn't about Hezbollah defending the Lebanese state from Israel. Now, for most of our listeners, I would say it seems crazy um, that they that uh, all Lebanese felt the need to have Hezbollah 
uh, as a military organization um, because of it, the threats that Israel poses to, to Lebanon. I don't think any most of our listeners would believe that Israel desires to invade Lebanon, if not unprovoked by Hezbollah. But with the propaganda machine that exists in the Arab world, yes, most uh, Lebanese did believe and do believe still, well, maybe not still, but did believe that Hezbollah was a necessary evil for them to have to counter Israel in the south. And so they've, by and large, let it be, let Hezbollah exist, let a parallel military exist inside the nation to protect it against Israel. Now, what happened in, in the start of the Syrian civil war is that Hezbollah decided that it was going to go fight on behalf of the Iranian regime inside Syria. Now, the, the ordinary Lebanese weren't happy about this. They, there was no trouble coming to Lebanon. And yet, Iran asked Hezbollah to go into Syria and preserve its ally, Bashar al-Assad. And so, Hezbollah did. And at first, they didn't tell anybody about this. At first, they were doing it quietly. But when the bodies started to pile up, and there were no funerals back in Lebanon for the Hezbollah fighters that died on foreign soil, there started to be a little bit of unrest in the Hezbollah camp, in the Shiite camp, let's say, inside Lebanon. And so you've got that factor as well, that the Lebanese now see Hezbollah completely as a stooge or a proxy of Iran. They no longer believe, many Lebanese no longer believe that they are on another, on the verge of a war with Israel, an offensive war by Israel against the state. They're fully aware that Israel will defend itself if attacked by Hezbollah. But they're pretty sure that Israel itself is not interested in picking a fight against the Lebanese people. Another quote from Hanin Gadar's article, she says this, Observers have called the current protests in Lebanon unprecedented for a number of reasons. For the first time in a long time, Lebanese have realized that the enemy is within. It is their own government and political leaders, not an outside occupier or regional influencer. Ordinary Lebanese are realizing, I'm finishing her quote now, that it's the Lebanese government that's the problem. And that government's made up of a whole lot of parties, and they want Lebanese protesters, they want everybody gone. They want to start again, get rid of all this class of, of, of corrupt politicians, not just uh, Hezbollah politicians, but a lot of them, and then start again. But, but what's important there is that they don't see Israel at the, as the number one threat to them. And if they don't see Israel as the number one threat, they don't see the need for Hezbollah to be as powerful as it is. And in fact, they see that Hezbollah is part of the problem, part of the problem. And so they've been protesting for over, I think it's about almost two weeks now. These are massive protests. This is a quarter of your population coming out regularly to protest against the government. Banks are closed. Schools are shut down basically for a couple of weeks. This, these are huge protests. And what you have are Shiites that are starting to come out and protest as well. Shiites that aren't happy with Hezbollah. Now, everyone is waiting for Hassan Nasrallah, 
the head of Hezbollah to come out and and uh, give a an interview, well, not an interview, a statement about this. I shouldn't say come out because he is still hiding somewhere, somewhere in a bunker, and he's been there ever since uh, 2006, in uh, since the Second Lebanese, Lebanese War, to hide himself from Israel assassination attempts. And so he releases these videos. He did release a video on Friday. Notice what he called for, and this is significant. His statement is very significant. He didn't call for the disbandment of the government. He wants the government to continue, of course. Notice what he says, quote, I'm afraid that there are those who want to take our country and generate and general social security and political tensions and to take it to civil war. Civil war. That's what he's announcing. That this, there are people out there, there are forces that want us to go to civil war. He continues, God willing, nothing like this will happen. But I tell you, there is information and doubts about this matter. And so he's putting this warning out. Now, there's many Lebanese coming out and saying that, well, his mention of civil war is just trying to scare us. But maybe it isn't. Maybe this is a threat by Nasrallah that that Hezbollah's hold on power is not going to be given up to these protests. And you even did have... Hezbollah supporters then, on Friday, push into these peaceful demonstrations in Beirut and elsewhere. They're dressed in black t-shirts, common to Hezbollah supporters. And they said, quote, we heed your call, Nasrallah. So they took, the Hezbollah supporters took the statement of Nasrallah and they went to the streets saying that we heed your calls. Now Nasrallah came out and said that he didn't didn't want that to happen. He didn't want those people to come out there because what would happen or what did happen is that the supporters of Hezbollah were fighting against the protesters, which have been, has been a peaceful protest. And the, the police, the Lebanese police are trying to protect the protesters from these Hezbollah fighters. I just watched some footage uh, before, before recording this of some of these incidents and they're quite brutal and they're mad. They're mad that somebody would have the goal to stand up against Hezbollah, and yet there are many doing it, and there are many Shiites doing it. They want a stable country by themselves, without their sons going off to fight foreign wars at the behest of Iran. Many of them do. Many of them want it, many of them don't, and they're protesting against it. And Nasrallah warned that civil war could be coming. And why could civil war be coming? Because, quote, again, he said this, it's the responsibility of Hezbollah to protect Lebanon at home as well. And so what will he do? What lengths will he go to to protect Lebanon as he sees it from itself? Now, it just reminds me of of the besiegian and the the IRGC in Iran protecting its own interests internally, stamping down rebellion, stamping down protests. It reminds me of what's happening right now in the streets of Baghdad and Iraq when protesters are rising up against against the, against the country. And then you have Shiite militias loyal to Iran, basically a Hezbollah inside Iraq that is firing live fire, killing protesters, trying to put down this rebellion. And Hassan Nasrallah is basically saying, hey, tone it down. Things are going to have to change. They're going to have to change fast. Or Hezbollah may have to intervene here as well. 
another Iranian proxy might have to intervene to preserve, as he sees it, the Lebanese state, which basically means Hezbollah's control over the Lebanese state. Now, it's his comments here about civil war, which are very interesting. This is not something anyone longs for. This is not something that we desire. Um, But it looks like it is going to take place. And this is something that we've been watching for for a number of years based on this prophecy in Psalm chapter 83. Our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, wrote an article back uh, in 2014, and the article was entitled, entitled, Why You Need to Watch Lebanon. Now, some of the things have changed, obviously, uh, since 2014. At the time, Hezbollah wasn't a large political power. Uh, They were a strong force inside the government Uh, but not as they are today. And so some of this article is a little bit dated, but not the prophetic elements, not what's going to take place based on the Bible. He had a subhead in this article saying, civil war coming. Civil war coming to Lebanon. Nasrallah says that this year. Hereditary Chief wrote that five years ago based on these prophecies. Then he wrote this under this subhead. For the past decade, Hezbollah has developed a reputation for being moderate and friendly to the Lebanese by funding schools, hospitals, clinics, and other social programs within southern Lebanon. This led to a general acceptance of the organization, even among Lebanese who didn't agree with its politics, or policy, sorry. As long as Hezbollah was looking after the Lebanese, the public accepted its presence. However, Hezbollah's contribution to the war in Syria are changing people's views. Ever since the bloody violence spilled over into Lebanon, which some of it did end up happening, Hezbollah has refused to end its call in its involvement in Syria, and the Lebanese people blame this organization for every bomb that goes off inside their country. Hezbollah is losing all credibility in the eyes of the majority of the Lebanese. The division between these two sides is threatening to turn violent. And that's what he wrote back in 2014. Civil war is coming to Lebanon. It is looking like it's going to turn violent. And what is interesting about this article is, well, how did Mr. Flurry know that? He knew it based on the prophecy found in Psalm chapter 83. Psalm chapter 83, that eventually Lebanon is not going to be held by the control of Iran, that it is going to cast off Iran's power hold on it. And if that's the case, Hezbollah is not just going to lay down its arms. There's going to have to be a civil war to fight for Lebanon's future, to get it out of the Iranian camp. And here you have Nasrallah coming out and saying exactly that, that if the protesters don't stand down, if we don't resolve this, then it's going to get violent and we are going to fight to preserve the Lebanese state. And that just means to preserve his own rule and power hold over the Lebanese state. But it seems that the people of Lebanon have had enough of Hezbollah. This is what this article writes towards the end. It says this, Let's look at a prophecy of what will occur immediately after Daniel 11 and verse 40. So this has everything to do with this involvement uh, in Lebanon. Verses 5 to 8 here in this, in this, in this uh, passage talk about these nations, some of the nations it mentions as being an, and part of this alliance that's going to be targeting uh, Israel eventually, but is not going to be allied with the Iranian alliance, is Edom, 
the Ishmaelites, which are Saudi Arabia, Moab and Ammon, which are Jordan. They're not going to be allied with Iran. The Hagarenes, which dwelt in the land of Syria, they're not going to be allied with Iran by the end of it. The Philistines, or this area that the Palestinians are now occupying, they will actually change their alliance also. And then Gibal is mentioned, which is in the northern regions of Lebanon. And then it says in this prophecy, the inhabitants of Tyre. The inhabitants of Tyre in southern Lebanon. They're not going to be holding uh, with Iran. They're actually going to be anti-Iran. Now, this is where Hezbollah has largely had its stronghold here in southern Lebanon. Southern Lebanon has been its home base. South and the east of Lebanon is where a lot of the Shiites live, and that's where Hezbollah has its stronghold. And it says even there, you're going to have people that are allied against Iran, that are not going to follow what Iran is doing eventually. And so when we see protests that are taking place in southern Lebanon by Shiites against the government and Hezbollah having to fight against its own, at least in terms of the sect, the Shiite sect, we can see that we are on the verge of this change. This change is starting to take place. Now, whether or not these exact protests are going to lead to that uh, very the civil war that I'm talking about, it does show you that the conditions are set for it to happen, and it does show you that it is possible, it is possible, that Shiites in Lebanon are going to rebel against Hezbollah's rule, that will not follow completely uh, the Iranian dominance, that will side with Lebanon against uh, Iran. Now, this is something that eventually is going to happen. That's what your Bible says. Your Bible, as this sure word of prophecy, we know it is going to take place. And the timing is right now for these prophecies. And so we, when we see unprecedented Lebanese protests and that anger directed at Hezbollah for the very first time, something different is taking place. And that's why we need to keep on watching Lebanon. Now, this article... Uh, you can go ahead and read this. I'll leave a note. I'll leave a link for it. Uh, the article by Mr. Gerald Flurry. Why you need to watch Lebanon again? Some of it is some of the context doesn't necessarily apply generally to this case, but what does apply is the prophetic element towards the end of it. it shows you clearly what the Bible says of Lebanon's future, and it shows you that the situation that we're seeing right now is going to lead to the fulfillment of this prophecy. That's all I have time for today. Thank you very much for taking your time to listen in to the program. If you do have any feedback for us and you'd like to send your comments, you can do so by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>